Now we give a warm welcome to everyone to evening worship today, both to those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 139. It's page 432 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. O Lord, Thou hast me searched and known. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up, yea, all my thoughts afar to thee are known. My footsteps and my lying down thou compassest always. Thou also most entirely art acquaint with all my ways. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast me searched and known. join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we listen to the words of these songs, we realize there is a great mystery as far as our understanding of you is concerned. It's not that we know nothing. We know a great deal. You have made us in such a way that we innately know that you exist. And we cannot avoid that. 
But how you know our words even before we utter them ourselves, that's a profound mystery. But you have revealed these things to us. And these truths are profoundly sobering because in life's journey one of our greatest problems is that we know that you know absolutely everything about us. And in our folly many of us, perhaps all of us have lived our days on the run from you ducking and diving and trying to avoid the all-knowing and all-seeing God. We confess it is like a balm to our souls when we stop running. When we can come to you just as we are knowing that there is mercy in Christ. And we pray that each and every one of us here this night would savour afresh the compassion of a God who is full of grace and full of mercy. But we don't only pray it for ourselves. We remember our loved ones wherever they might be. We thank you for, for family bonds. We pray that we would appreciate them whilst we have them. But we pray that above all else we would be part of the family that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ because only in his family are we secured for life, for death and for the great beyond. And we remember those who are mourning the loss of loved ones particularly at this time of year when empty chairs become even more prominent than ever. We remember those who are dreading Christmas because of that empty chair or maybe because of broken relationships or for some other reason. But may we remember the heart of the Christmas message. That this is Emmanuel, God with us. That this eternal God visited the planet Earth in human form lived among us for 33 years, suffered and died at Calvary and rose triumphantly over the grave on the third day, 40 days thereafter, ascending back to heaven. We thank you that you are the great shepherd and we thank you, O Lord, for the under-shepherds that you have given us in our life's experience. And we would remember the family again this evening of the late John Angus Gillis as they mourn the loss of a loved one. We thank you for the example he was, for the commitment he showed to you in all the ups and downs of life's journey. We thank you that for him today it is far better. We are all the poorer for his passing from the scene of a, a time. We pray that you'd remember us, O oh Lord, not just as a church but as a nation. We look around the nations of this world and we, we see how we have legislated against you. We have tried to bring to naught the institutions that you have set up. But uh, it is the greatest folly in the world for men and women to take on the eternal God. And yet we do it. Every last one of us, we do it every time we sin. 
But we ask you to forgive us and we ask you to be with us this night as we sing your praises, as we pray together, as we preach and hear in this uh, fellowship. And wherever your people are gathered across the globe this night, we pray that you would be in the midst to bless them. And wherever your people are alone, literally, that you would be there with them. Because ultimately, according to this song we have just sung, we can never be absolutely alone if we are children of God. So be with us, we pray. Remember those who are struggling with so, so many different problems. Remember those who are at the end of their tether. Remember those who can find no solution to the predicaments they find themselves in, in themselves. May we turn to you and may we be guided and helped and succored by you each and every day of life's journey. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song, Psalm 139. It's page 432 of the Psalter. It's verse 7. From thy spirit, whither shall I go, or from thy presence fly? Ascend I heaven, lo, thou art there, there, if in hell I lie. Take I the morning wings, and dwell in utmost parts of sea. Even there, Lord, shall thy hand me lead, thy right hand hold shall me. We'll sing these verses. It's verse 7 to 12 of Psalm 139. From thy spirit, whither shall I go?
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 1. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with uh, you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Amen and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, may we mark well the opening of this gospel. Because Luke tells us that He's going to give Theophilus, whoever he was, 
an orderly account of things most certainly believed on the basis of eyewitnesses. May we remember that we are dealing with history here. This is not fable, myth or legend. And may we remember also that this child that we look back on down through two millennia was promised from the word go as far as the human race was concerned. David was promised a king to be on his throne. And this is the Christ who sits on the spiritual throne of Israel this very night in fulfillment of every word that came from the lips of the eternal God. But it goes back to more than David. It goes way back to Abraham, called out of paganism to leave out of the Chaldeans. To go into a land that he knew not exactly where he was going, but he knew that there would be born into his family someone who would be a blessing to every nation upon earth. But it goes back even further than that to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are hardly out of the place of communion with God when they are given hope in the misery of their fallen estate that a child of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. May we be able to see the central theme of Scripture written over a period of one and a half thousand years with 40 different writers and still there is that core that holds it all together and that core gives hope to the human race. And here we are this night. As we gather around your word, our cry to you is to help us because we are here in all our need and all our poverty and in all our waywardness. But we are here because you are who you are and you have said what you have said and you have done what you have done. May we remember we are dealing with Emmanuel, God with us. The eternal God who stoops down into the murky waters of a fallen world to save people as they are in their sins and to gloriously take them to be with himself throughout the endless ages of eternity. We could never make these things up. We would never dare to do it. But this is the truth that we are dealing with on the pages of this book that you have given to us. And we pray that as we explore it afresh this night, that you would be with us and you would help us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> now let's sing again to God's praise. <clears throat> this time it's Psalm <clears throat> 139e. And that's found on page 181 of the Psalter. It's at verse 13. Psalm 139a, page 181 of the Psalter, at verse 13. For you, O Lord, created me. You wove me on your loom. My inmost being you have formed within my mother's womb. We'll sing verses 13 to 15 of uh, 139a for you O Lord created me
Now let's turn to the passage we've read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and we'll read again at verse 26. In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture this evening. We were looking this morning at the Virgin Mary's response to this um, knowledge that she was given, that she was going to be with child through the Holy Spirit of God overshadowing her. We want to look this evening at, um, rather we were looking at Joseph's response this morning, this evening we are going to look at, uh, at Mary's, um, Mary's response. But I do want to pick up on what we were saying in the prayer there. This book was written by Dr. Luke. And uh, he tells us why he's writing this book. He wants to give an orderly account. There have been many accounts given. Uh, but he wants to do his own one. He's, he's, um, he's, he's meticulous about these things. Whoever Theophilus was, he, he was addressed as the most excellent Theophilus. He was clearly of some rank and standing in his community and uh, country of, of, of his day. But um, Luke tells us that he's going to gather his evidence from uh, eyewitnesses. Do you know if there was an accident on the road out there and let's say it was daylight and um, and somebody came in and told you what was someone who saw what happened came in and told you what had happened and then the police arrived and they spoke to you and you would uh, you would tell them what happened and then you would say if they said to you how do you know that and they would you would say well so and so told me they would dismiss your evidence because that's hearsay evidence. That's not first-hand primary evidence. And historians are interested in primary evidence. And so too is this man. He is interested in primary evidence. Why do I want to underscore and underline that? Because we are not dealing with myth and legend and fable here. There are many myths and legends and fables that include gods and goddesses and demigods and demigoddesses and indeed explanations for the cosmos, the universe, as, uh, as we know it. But they are presented as fable, legend and myth. This is historic a fact that we are dealing with, uh, with here on the, part, on the part of Luke. Now, of course... That's one aspect. He's meticulous in that. But another aspect is this, that all of Scripture is inspired by God. And the word that is used is a word that brings together two words, the word God and the word breathed. 
And it's basically telling us that all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, God uses human individuals. He allows them freedom and personality. So you can read Luke's writing and you can compare it with Peter's writing. And you can compare it with Paul's writing. And their personalities come through. But all of it is from the, from the lips of God. He guides their minds. He guides them down to the very words that they use. And it is so crucial for us to remember that. Because if we lose that, we lose everything. If we lose that, we lose the foundation. You know, if you look at the history of the attacks that have been made on Scripture, some of them are very, very, very subtle. And we don't need to go beyond the denomination that we belong to ourselves this night. Because in, um, in the 1800s, you know, in 1843, the disruption takes place. And then there's 30 glorious years where I think it's 447 ministers cease to be ministers in the Church of Scotland. And they're in now the Church of Scotland free from state interference. And they left everything behind. Their churches, their manses, their stipends, everything. And it is astonishing what happened in these first 30 years. The 30 glorious years. But after that it was all downhill. Until you come to 1893 and uh, that's when the Free Presbyterian Church claims that they are the original Church of Scotland and that's because this declaratory act comes in and um, there is this, um, it's all very, very subtle. You had to, um, you had to, um, you had to, you had to claim to uh, support the substance of the faith in order to be a minister or an elder in the, in, in, in the church in the free church of Scotland and the subtle bit was this no one ever defined what the substance of the faith was and we think oh that's ancient history that's ancient history it's nothing at all to do with us today and it has everything to do with us today everything because in 1905, when the whole mess that the churches of Scotland was in went to the House of Lords to be sorted out, and the Church of Scotland Act 1905 has a paragraph in it, and it's paragraph number five, and it has nothing to do with the Free Church, and nothing to do with the United Presbyterian Church, and nothing to do with the United Free Church. It had all to do with the Church of Scotland, and what they wanted was... The so-called freedoms that the 1893 Act gave to the Free Church. Now in 1900, the remnant that stayed in the Free Church changed all that. But the Church of Scotland saw the, the so-called freedoms... It's because of these so-called freedoms that you can have ministers in the church. Well, our own local Church of Scotland minister was one of the first people to say that she would be quite happy to marry same-sex couples. How can you be a minister of the gospel and do things like that? You can do that because of these historic events and these historic documents. For the first 30 years it was glorious in the free church and then for the next it was downhill, downhill, downhill and you think, how did that happen? 
And it happened because we became proud and arrogant and we sent our best students off to Germany for them to be polished off so that they would come back so refined and so educated and so full of academia. But Germany had a big problem with the higher critic movement. And what was the higher critic movement? Here is where it gets really subtle. The higher critics basically said, you will find the word of God in the Bible. The Bible contains it. The Bible is not the word of God. And you think, well, well what's the difference? Well, here's the difference. Historically, we believe that the whole Bible was, from Genesis to Revelation, was all inspired by God. The higher critics came along and said, no, 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 no. Some of it's inspired, and other bits of it are not. Some bits are full of error and, uh, and, and myth and, 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 and fable. And that, that's why it is so crucial for us to have an understanding of the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. If we let that go, everything goes. And here is Dr. Luke, and he's very firm about it. I'm using first-hand primary evidence. I'm getting it from the eyewitnesses who were there. And what does he tell us in this bit that we're looking at? In the sixth month... And that we take it that that's the sixth month of uh, Elizabeth, the first cousin of Mary's uh, pregnancy. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now remember what an angel is. The Greek word angelos basically means messenger. So God sends his messengers. And God sends this particular angel who's called Gabriel to this woman Mary in a city of Galilee named Nazareth and immediately we pick up on this Nazareth was a back street place Nazareth was where nobody came from you remember one of the critics of Jesus said when they heard he was Jesus of Nazareth can any good thing come out of Nazareth Nazareth is not on the radar. Nazareth is not on the map. To be a somebody, you had to come from somewhere other than Nazareth. But you know what? We are here tonight. Because the God we are here to worship is a God who takes into account the Nazareths of this world. Yes, we can afford to say we are nothings, we are nobodies. Indeed, we are something. We are sinners of the darkest hue and the deepest dye. But we have hope because there is a God in heaven and we've been singing about him and knowing everything about us. And, and you know, sometimes when you sit down and you self-reflect and you self-analyze and you think, why on earth would God be remotely interested in anyone like me? Why on earth would he be? And, and that's a great mystery. I, I'm, not here to, I'm not here to explain it. But I'm here to say that the revelation of God is such that he says, I am interested I'm interested in the back streets and I'm interested in the nobodies and I'm interested in the sinners of this world to such an extent that he sends one of his angels to somebody from Nazareth to this virgin betrothed to a man whose name was, uh, was Joseph. 
of the house of uh, David. And you'll remember that David lived a thousand years before this section of scripture that we are dealing with. And you know one of the things that was promised to David was this. You know, David was a nobody as well. Do you remember David was from a large family and when they were choosing who was going to be the next king of Israel, they were looking at the older members of Jesse's family. Fine, good-looking men, healthy, fit soldiers, warriors. And they're looking at them thinking, you're a fine specimen of a man. You're the man that's going to be king. And God says, no. And the next one, it must be this one. No, it's not this one. Well, it's this one. No, it's not. Have you any more sons? Yes, we've got a 17-year-old shepherd boy at home. But we've kind of written them off in our minds. And, and lo and behold, David is brought before um, everyone. And this is my man. This is the man who will be the second king of Israel. The, 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 the person that was kind of forgotten by others is the person that God has his eye on. And God is going to use in uh, in an astonishing way. And one of the things that God said to, to David was that a son of his would be on the throne of Israel forever. And of course the critics will say, well there you go, the Bible's full of nonsense, the Bible's full of errors, because there's nobody on the throne of uh, Israel today. Yeah, but we've got to look at it things in, not just in terms of politics we've got to think of spiritual thrones and David was part of a spiritual kingdom as well as being part of a political kingdom and on the throne of Israel spiritually there is someone who was descended we've just read it in the genealogies today that we've read in scripture we've just been reading about it on this very day that somebody of uh, David's family tree would sit eternally on a throne. And you'll remember, as it was with Jesus, on the cross, this is the king of the Jews. And some of them went to Pontius Pilate and they said, you've got to, you've got to get that sorted. Because he's not the king of the Jews. You've got to say, he says he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate's not for changing it. Under the providence of God, Pilate leaves it as it is. And it is a truth. He is the king of the Jews. Does that mean that he was a political king? My kingdom's not of this world. Well, what kind of kingdom is it? His kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. Or, if we put it another way, his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. You see, in your heart and my heart this night, someone's ruling. And it's either ourselves or it's Christ the King, the spiritual King, the King of heaven. And um, my hope and prayer is this, that we're all part of his kingdom. 
and that he is our king that he is our saviour and that he is our guide in life's journey and he will be our guide at our moment of departure and on into the mists of eternity uh, thereafter but here he is David's promised a king on the throne and, uh, but it, it goes away back further than you can go back 4,000 years to Abraham and he comes out of, of out of the Chaldeans and, and of course Abraham had a choice God's calling him and Abraham can say to God no I think I'll say what I am we're very religious we're into our gods particularly we're into our moon god and I think I'll just stick with what I've got but that's not what Abraham does Abraham listens to God Abraham goes with God and Abraham is blessed by God and one of the blessings of God on Abraham was this that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore but another of the blessings was this into his family tree would come somebody who would be a blessing to every nation on planet earth and we are here this night as a consequence of that promise uh, of that promise to, to, to Abraham and here is this woman of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said greetings O favoured one the Lord is with you and she was favoured First of all, she was favoured with the gift of a child. And children are gifts uh, given by, uh, by the Lord. And therein lies a profound mystery. You know, we think that there's a profound mystery in terms of who are Christians and who are not Christians because you can get one family and one or two are Christians and the others are not and you think now how does that all work out they've all been exposed to the same kind of upbringing they've all been exposed to the same kind of teaching how come some are in and some are out at the end of the day that's a mystery but we don't need to enter into the spiritual realm to come up against mystery because there are some people that are blessed with children in this world and there are other people who are not blessed with children and that is also a very profound mystery. Do you know to see all these babies in this church this morning is a tremendous privilege. But I remember baptizing a child here. And after that baptism, and, and of course I always talk about the gift of children and our responsibilities to them. Um, <clears throat> but this person, who would have made a wonderful mother, had no children. And this was a very, very reserved person, and I'm never ever going to say who the person was, but I remember what was said to me, and it... it, it, it it, it tugged the cords of my heart because she witnessed the baptism and what she said was it was like a knife going through my soul and there are a lot of people like that you know we have some people with children and they don't look after them and they neglect them and there are all kinds of things that happen but there are others who, who make wonderful parents and 
and, and, and they don't have the blessing of, uh, of children. Uh, what do you say? There's not much you can say. Other than this, it's a profound mystery. It is a profound mystery. This woman was favoured with a child. But that's not where her favour ends. Because this woman was favoured with a child who is utterly and absolutely unique. Now every child is utterly and absolutely unique. We all have different fingerprints and we all have different personalities. That's what makes up the tapestry of life. And every child is... You know, the song we've just been singing, uh, the mystery of a child growing and developing within a mother's womb. Who understands that? Nobody understands that. Nobody understands that. But it wasn't just an ordinary child that she was blessed with. This is the eternal Son of God. And you know, it's a huge blessing for her. But it, it didn't come without its problems. It didn't come without its problems. We are told that Mary was afraid. And I'm back to where I was this morning. Just how often God or God's messenger, whether it be an angel or a prophet or a preacher or just another fellow human being, how often God's message comes to us saying, Look, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So often we are so afraid. Sometimes we are just, and I said this this morning as well, sometimes we as believers are so afraid that we're in a state of paralysis. Just in a state of rigid paralysis. What do you do when you're there? Well, one of the things we have to do is we have to turn heavenwards and we have to say to God, this is, this is the way it is. Will you have mercy upon me and will you help me and will you enable me to get sorted out so that I become an effective witness for you, a productive witness for you, for what I have left on life's journey. Mary has to be told not to be afraid. Well, what are her fears? Well, I touched on one this morning. Sometimes... You're in the presence of people and you know there's something special about them and you know they stand out and you feel so small and you feel so blemished in their presence that it kind of unnerves you. But what if the person you are in the presence of is a holy angel who has never ever sinned? Is that going to be unnerving? Well, it looks like it. It looks like it. But there is this issue of Mary never having been in union with a man and yet she is with child. What on earth is Joseph going to say? And if she had that fear, then her fear was very much realised because that's her fear realised. Joseph doesn't believe her, initially at any rate, until God intervenes. And so she's afraid. She's afraid of the disintegration of her relationship. There's all kinds of things running through her mind. And what about the wider family circle? 
Will they hang their heads in shame because this woman who isn't married yet is, uh, is, 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 is expecting a child? How are they going to react and what kind of hard time are they going to give it to Mary? But then you add on to that, you add on to that the religious leaders of the day. Do you remember on one occasion Jesus healed a man that was blind? And his parents knew he was blind. And his parents knew very well who had healed him. But they were too afraid to say what had happened to him and who had done it. Why? Because they were terrified of being put out of the synagogue. They were terrified of the religious rulers. It's the same kind of religious rulers that are around with Mary here right now. And then there's the problem of the local gossips. Having a heady about this woman who believes in God. And look at her now. And the hard time that they would give that on the street corner or out to get water or, or whatever else, wherever else they were going. You know, Mary was greatly favoured by God, but it didn't come without its exposure to problems. And that's the way it is for everyone who is favoured by God. It's a tremendous favour to be a child of God. It's a tremendous favour to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it does expose you to lots of kinds of problems. Lots of kinds of problems. But what is it that we read here? She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now in some churches there's a lot made of this woman, Mary, and she seemed to have never ever sinned. She knows that this baby is to be called Jesus, and she knows that the meaning of the name Jesus is Saviour, and she knows that He's the Saviour who will save His people from their sins, and hopefully, we'll explore that next Sunday morning. But this whole idea of Mary being sinless has taken on arms and legs so that nowadays Mary is more important than this Jesus. She is a co-mediator between the human race and God. She's even more important than Jesus himself. And yet in this song that we've just read, the Magnificat, listen to what Mary has to say. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Who is it that needs a Saviour? What kind of Saviour is he? He saves his people from their sins. Mary's hands are up. Mary is acknowledging in this song of praise, if it's a song or is it just poetry, I'm not terribly sure, but... She is acknowledging she's a sinner. That is very clear. And it's a reminder to us 
of what I was saying earlier on, just how important Scripture is. And it is Scripture that must be our touchstone for everything. For absolutely everything. If church courts come up with this idea that Mary's a mediatrix and she's even more important than Jesus himself and you have to do so many Hail Marys and this, that and the next thing in order for your sins to be really sorted out. It is so important to be able to come to a foundation and the foundation is the revelation of God. And in that revelation of God he has given us the truth. And one of the truths he has given us is that Mary was a sinner. And Mary rejoiced in God our Saviour as well. But the astonishing thing for Mary is this. That she is carrying her Saviour in her womb. And that was a huge, huge blessing. And huge, huge favour. But that's why we're here tonight. We are here to bow before this child who is Emmanuel, God with us. What for? To save us from our sins. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you for your coming into the flow of the human race, for stooping to being in the womb of the Virgin Mary for nine months and for your 33 years of earthly sojourn in this world, may we know through reading your word what it was all about. And may we rejoice afresh in a salvation that is a gift to each and every one of us, if we will, this night. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing a few more verses in this very song. Psalm 139a at verse 16. It's page 181 of the Psalter. And all the days that I should live which you ordained for me were written in your book, O Lord, before they came to be. We'll sing verses 16 to 18. And all the days that I should live.
And now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore. Amen.